This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Welcome to a new episode of Be Her Talk. This is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill and, of course, Tammy Marie David. All right, guys. This is an interesting show. This is the Corona Quarantine Show because we are all in our homes. One and a half of us are home because we are on forced quarantine. And the half of us might actually need to be on quarantine. I won't tell you which one that is. And then there's Tammy, who's just wonderful and brilliant as usual. And healthy and young and vibrant. So, guys, this is the first time we've done a show remotely. So, yeah. bear with us. There might be some technical difficulties. There might be some sound issues. But we want you guys to know that we really want to get this show done today. Because we really want to make sure folks have the information they need. And we miss you guys. So, you'll still be able to hear this on the podcast. And it'll be all good. So, Tammy, yeah. how's your day going so far? Tammy? Yeah. Oh. Sorry. Wow. Well, my day is going hilariously, Stanley. Uh, it's been an hour and a half of us trying to record this podcast, so I feel like I, more than ever, are not prepared to work from home and oh, to yeah. be stuck in a quarantine. But, you know, you, you, you live your life. Yeah. Nonetheless, I mean, so I've been under quarantine for a few days now, so I'm super happy to do anything that exists outside. Um... I'm happy for the show. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, every time I look at my phone, it's a new update about coronavirus. Like, I'm sure you guys are feeling the same way. There's a lot of misinformation out there, as, a, as well as a lot of information to take in because the updates are nonstop. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. I'm also live on IG, so if you guys have questions or comments or want to chime in, please, please, uh, feel free to leave those comments and we will address them. So, So we're going to wrap up the Zoom live and pick up on Anchor. Um, we'll be okay. right back after this break, okay? indefinitely airlines are canceling flights in mass disneyland closing california hotel revenues are sinking the travel industry is plummeting americans are banned from traveling to 26 european countries restaurants mom and pop shops and many small businesses are struggling to keep their doors open and people like myself have been told to stay inside. And that's just in the U.S. Abroad, France has shut down all restaurants, clubs, and cinemas. While in Spain, people are banned from leaving home except for buying essential supplies and medicines or going to work. And in Italy, 16 million people have been placed on mandatory lockdown, a mandatory nationwide lockdown. But... Outside of COVID-19, massive disruption to our lives, we cannot forget about the millions of working class people who are in jeopardy of losing their jobs 
not having enough food and having and not being uh, secure or stable enough for their own children. So the coronavirus, as we know, it's changing the way we as Americans live every day. But for low wage workers who don't have paid time off, health insurance or the ability to take time off, the impact is even stronger. Today, there are potentially thousands of workers who may be ill or should be staying at home, but they continue to go to work. Why? Because they have to earn a living wage. They have to pay the rent. They have to put food on the table. Many of these workers, they work in restaurants, transportation, tourism, retail industries, etc. And they have a lot of interaction with the public. Meanwhile, low-wage workers who have access to health care some of them are not even taking advantage of it because of the copay and all of the out-of-pocket costs. Plus, we know that people who are lower socioeconomic means, a lot of times they live in like a crowded situation or sometimes they're even homeless. Um, a lot of times they, they, have, they suffer from food insecurity or poor nutrition or they even fear going to the doctor because they're worried about their immigration status. As of today, the U.S. has confirmed at least 51 deaths, and this may go up by the time we finish this podcast, and almost 2,500 infections. Literally, it's growing by the um, the hour. So that's why in this episode, on this podcast, we're talking about the political, economical, and real-life impact that the coronavirus is having on our lives, our country and our world. So Stanley, I want to throw it to you first um, and, you know, ask you, how are you coping with the coronavirus? And, you know, before you jump in here, let me just be clear. Again, I'm been mandated to quarantine until next Saturday. Um, I don't have it, but I've been in contact with someone who tested positive. So as a precautionary measure, I'm staying home this Saturday. Stanley, how are you coping? Well, I got really sick last week on um, Sunday, caught, had a cold and had a fever, and I was really worried that I had it, and I tried to get tested, and there were no tests available, and I got assessed by a doctor who told me pretty much that um, I more than likely did not have it because I was already recovering and that I probably had a common cold, but during that time period when I thought I had it, it was really nerve-wracking because it's just... It's so easy for anyone to get it. And it knocked me off. I was sick for a week. You know? Mm-hmm. I've been in a house. And then just as I'm starting to recover, everything just gets locked down. So I'm, I'm struggling from a little from a little cabin fever. But just really worried about, like, a lot of the elderly folks. I'm thinking about my father. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, like, some of the older people in my life who are more vulnerable to, to the virus. Tammy, how are you coping with coronavirus? So y'all know me. I try to be... I try to be a clown and make light of a lot of stuff because ultimately this is a systemic issue for me. So it's been hard trying to mitigate anxiety and panic and stuff. But, you know, it's it's getting real on this end. Um, the anxiety of not being let out of work, you know, even as 90, 95 percent of my office is now working from home you know, traveling the subways, hearing that this person near me got infected or this person. It's definitely a lot. Um, I'm doing fine because I'm 25. I'm healthy. You know, I'm taking my zinc, my nutritional yeast, emergency, working out, eating produce, doing what I can to stay healthy. Um, 
but it's hard, you know, it, it is hard to mitigate the anxiety. And then when you see the cases go up and you see the city's kind of slowed responses and the government's slowed responses, you get more and more worried because the numbers go up and you wonder about, you know, the abuelas in your building and and all the old folks around you and your elderly family members. So, you know, I'm kind of stressed, but at the same time, you know, it is kind of like an interesting moment in history. And I'm like, you know, I'm healthy. So I'm trying to travel. I'm trying to get on a $60 flight to Puerto Rico round trip. Um, life is going on. So just basically mis- mitigating anxiety and, and trying to figure out what to do with my life right now. Wow. Yeah, no. And, you know, to your point, I do think a lot of us are very anxiety ridden. Um, it's just uncertainty. Right. And because this pandemic is on such a large scale, um, we're not sure what to do. And to make matters worse, the U.S. government seems to be completely unprepared. And then we have an idiot who's at the helm, Donald Trump, <laughs> who was literally days ago calling this a hoax. So, yeah, like, there's no wonder why we have a lot of anxiety. And to top it off, we still have to deal with the conspiracy theories, right? So, you know, you, we talked about my team. We talked about some of the conspiracy theories that we heard about how and why this even came about. And what I told my team was, honestly, I thought that China had created this to try to, to, try to reach their population control. But again, it's a conspiracy theory. Don't take it too serious. Do not take that serious. And I know, Tammy, you had some interesting conspiracy theories that you heard about. What was the craziest Oh, one? totally. So the craziest one before yesterday was um, that this is something to get rid of the old people and kick them off Medicaid and, like, kind of cleanse our society of boomers, so to speak. Um, but yesterday, I heard that Trump has it and that negative test was false and that he's hiding it from us because he doesn't want to get thrown out. So another conspiracy <laughs> theory. Dan, what'd you hit up for? Uh, myself. <laughs> no, actually just kidding. My friend <laughs> my friend on Instagram. Um I can't remember who told me that. I think Danya. Shout out Danya. She she said that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of fear tactics going on and the president is really not helping with it. During a press conference on Thursday or Friday, I think it was, someone asked him, he said, why did you fire the emergency pandemic staff that the White House had staffed up during the Obama administration? And he just, he just didn't even have the answer. He couldn't answer at all. He started bashing the reporter. Wow. And then someone asked him, since he had been in contact with multiple people with corona, would he be willing to, to take the test? And he said, the test is stupid and I probably won't. Meanwhile... Ted Cruz, Republican senator from Texas, um, was exposed to someone who had corona and had to go into quarantine. And his first day out of quarantine, he got, he ended up <laughs> touching somebody else who was exposed to corona. So now he's back in quarantine Karma. again. Do we have any comments, Selena? Yeah, we do have a comment. So uh, one comment says, the sad thing is that the Chinese government suppressed info about this months ago when cases, I guess, initially popped up in Wuhan, China. Uh, PRJ says, true, if they didn't hide it for so long, we would be better off. Um, so this was ha- happening possibly nearly a year ago. Now, I didn't. Is that verified, Selena, that China was withholding yes, information? Yes, no, I don't it think is it was. verified. 
that's one of so the dude who um the doctor who found this virus was asked to sign a non-disclosure disclosure agreement saying that he could not publicize mm. the information meanwhile he was not given the resources to fight at the beginning of the outbreak so him and his staff got it like right away and when that started spreading that's when it went public but by force not by china's response no mm-hmm. mm. That is mm-hmm. crazy. Thank you so much for um, giving that information. And thank you, Tammy, for expanding. I mean, well, regardless. Well, do we have a news source for that? Because I want to make on. sure. I'm going to get on my laptop. I just want to make sure. Like, send you guys the source. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make sure we include that in the show notes for people as well. Because, like, you know, with something like this, we want to make sure we have our facts 100% right. But yeah. And then the Trump. So China is contesting and saying that actually Patient Zero was a U.S. soldier. Um, and that like it was not them. So there's a lot of he said, he said, she said when it comes to who was responsible for the origins of this disease. But the fact of the matter is, it is decimating communities right now. Yeah, no, it it, it is. Um, I think that right to Stanley's point, regardless of how it got here, it is here, and we all know how we're being affected. I had a couple trips canceled. Um, my cousin's wedding in Grenada canceled. Obviously, I'm in quarantine. But to me, the real effects, the real impact, it's affecting people who are the most vulnerable, yeah. right? It's the communities of color. It's the working class. It's the elderly. So, Tammy, if you will, how is the coronavirus really affecting our communities and the working class? Oh, boy. Ooh, this is a tough this is this is a long one for me because you you all know how I feel about this. Before I get into it though, I just want to say there's a Daily Beast article about the coronavirus whistleblower, Dr. Lee Wenlang. There's also an article on the New York Times that talks about a new martyr putting a face on China's deepening crisis and Beijing's failure in response to being notified about it from Wuhan authorities. Um, and then also you can find it on financialtimes.com, which talks about it from the economic standpoint. Um, but still, it, it does show that there are tributes to this doctor um, based on the mishandling of, of the information from Wuhan on the ground. So you guys look him up. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for all your work. Um, but... Shout out to your follower, Selena, who brought this to our attention. I just want to say that it could be any country that did this because, as you can see from the U.S.'s response, it's all about keeping the stock market up and money flowing through the economy. It is not about protecting the the population. And that's why we're going to see communities of color and the working class hit the hardest. Um, First of all, I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but hourly and wage workers are not being relieved. They're not being relieved like they still have shifts every single day. And the way that it works is that they can't call out sick right away. Right. Like you can call out if you're actually sick, but it's really frowned upon. And then you lose a ton of money. Um, I feel like communities of color and the working class are the people who don't have the luxury to take paid sick leaves to protect themselves and their family or even to recover and not spread it if they are sick. And most importantly, they're going to keep going to work because they don't have the health care or the financial resources to take care of themselves in the same way that the middle and upper classes do. So I just feel like yeah. it's going to be obliterating us. 
Stanley, how will communities of color and the working class being affected? No, I think Tammy hit the nail on the head. And also, you might be giving people free screenings for the test when you get it, but then the prescriptions and any care you need for that is still gonna, is still going to have you paid on by yourself. And if you don't have health insurance, which most of this country still does not have, you are going to be facing a pretty big penny. This is going to be a very expensive pandemic. And a lot of people, a lot more people may not die from coronavirus, but we might see a lot of people go bankrupt because of coronavirus. Those small mom and pop shops where, you know, yeah, they're on the business, but they're not necessarily doing like the best and missing a week worth of work or a week worth of slow business could really send them down the wrong line, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Those folks who will have to take sick time off because their kids are sick or because they get sick but don't get paid for that sick time, they're going to be in trouble. Or when business is slowing down so you have to fire people now or let them go or not get them hours and they can't pay their rent. These are all the ways that people are actively going to be struggling and suffering from the coronavirus. And this is just very problematic and it shows the huge gaps we have in our government. Stanley, I'm so glad that you brought up the economic impact to working class people. Um, we actually got a comment. Someone says they can call out sick. They just won't get paid. You can create your own income. This is why we preach economic freedom. I do think that for a lot of people, um, you know, they don't at this point, like, yes, I get it. You can create other streams of revenue. But I feel like some of our older folks, like 50, 60, who may not be as technically savvy, who may not feel like they have the time to create a new stream of revenue because they're already working two or three jobs just to get their kid through college. Um, you know, that's not always a reality. And yes, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm here for preaching economic freedom, especially to the younger folks, because they know how to code and, and use Facebook and everything. But I do think that we need to deal with the reality. And Yeah, know, that's, ahead, that's, sorry about that, Selena. That, that's just a little bit narrow-minded to say that, like, financial freedom creates your own stream of income. With what? Where? The fact of the matter is, there, there might be some people who can come up with a business model that works in this very specific situation, but maybe, but a lot of people will not. And what are they supposed to do? You're going to go sell lemonade in the mm -hmm. corner when no one's outside? Where you get lemonade from? You got to have money to invest in this stuff. That's just not practical right now. It just isn't. And this is why you pay taxes so that when things like this happen, the government can take care of things. The government can make sure everyone has the insurance they need. The government can make sure people have food and clothing it's it's financial like starting a business that doesn't do anything for you right now it takes most businesses five to ten years to even become like fully monetized in a way that benefits the owner anyway yeah. that's not a practical solution at all you know and, and before because i know you want to weigh in here tammy um you know to your point Stan, uh, stanley someone left a comment they said the other issue is people not patronizing their business because they're staying home, cooking at home, etc. So even if somebody does have a mom and pop store or a small business, if people can't patronize it, your business can't survive. So I agree with you 100%. I wanted to bring up the fact that the House of Representatives yesterday passed a sweeping coronavirus financial aid package, which strengthens uh, existing unemployment, existing unemployment insurance, food assistance, and will provide people with free diagnosis, diagnosis testing for the virus. However, even if this bill passes and like Trump signs it into law, another portion of the bill lead, um, that provides people uh, lead with a leave option who may be like infected or may need to care for somebody else who's infected, it does not cover everyone. 
So we have 33.6 million American workers who receive no form of paid sick leave, with the lowest paid workers being especially vulnerable. So even if the Families First Coronavirus Response Act is enacted, millions of working people will still be left without a way to take time off from work or continue to make a living. Um, and it's like, is that the best that our government could do? Is right that now, Kim? so? My when I hear this, when I hear a house passing the bill, a bill like this, I don't think it's going to get through. Like just just a few days ago, the Senate vetoed a bill that the house had passed on mandating like a few weeks extension of paid sick leave. So when I hear something like this, I genuinely feel like the GOP is not going to see that as feasible, especially considering how much money they just pumped into the stock market. Um, yep. 1.5 trillion. Honestly, on that note of like all those people who still are going to be denied coverage, like so many people in this country like are working full time theoretically, especially the working class, obviously. But it's not one job full time. It's two to three part time jobs. Like all of those mm-hmm. people don't have the benefits like IE health insurance or care that they need to like properly get tested for their community. They also don't have the right to leave that those like that full-time workers would have in order to have these sick leave privileges. I I believe a lot of people like, especially in the part-time, you know, food service industry or, you know, minimum wage industry, they're not going to have access to this. No, they're definitely not. And another concern that Stanley had brought up when we were having this conversation offline, he said, what about all the black folks who live in the South that are being run, where it's being run by conservative governments? Stanley, I wanted to ask you that question. How is the virus affecting the conservative states in the South? So it's, I mean, and we don't have a clear idea of what that looks like just yet, but I'll give you an example. In New York State, the governor um, and the legislature passed a bill that would provide temporary paid sick time to like all New Yorkers, service workers, whatever it is, so that like you would be covered under a two week quarantine period. They're also going to be providing free tests for folks who qualify for it and doing a bunch of other things to make sure that like everyone is in good shape. Do you think that's going to happen to Alabama? Mm. Mm. And in states like Alabama where, like, they don't even want to give you, like, they get money from the federal government to provide food stamps, and then they refuse to give it, or they drug test people. And what about, like, if you do think about that, what do you think is happening in those prisons and jails mm. where we've already seen upticks in violence and fatalities in a lot of these southern states? A lot of people are going to suffer from this because a lot of people all across the country, across the country are making minimum wage and they're not making New York's city minimum wage, which is fifteen dollars an hour. They're making seven seventy five, mm. which is the federal minimum wage. Mm. They can't survive off of that, and they're not suspending eviction. So if somebody falls behind on rent on this time, they can still be evicted. They're not providing any additional resources, and you know those places they tend to have even harder. They have have a harder ability to get access to health facilities. So if you're in a rural area. And there's no doctor there. There's just no doctor there. So, like, I think that's the way it's going to show up in some of these southern states. Thank you for that, Stanley. So, Marco um, Prestage, 
I see it. I'm sorry. He wrote, um, exactly. Most workers need to work overtime to survive. So a bill to cover workers' wages without considering their overtime pay still puts workers at a disadvantage. So that's another thing. The fact that they don't even get the overtime work. I mean, Tammy, so, you know, we've been talking about this from a large national scale. Um, Let's sort of like scale it down a little bit and talk about how the coronavirus is affecting the local elections. And if we're going to talk about politics, then of course we need to talk about how it's affecting the Democratic primary. Yeah, so um, for those of you listening um, who, who may not know me or this is your first time, I am a local organizer. Number of leftist orgs in the community slash in the city um, and right now something that's super big is like petitioning to get people on the ballot for uh, con- the congressional race that's coming up this year um, unfortunately because of the pandemic all I'm seeing in my inbox are meetings canceled petition drives canceled uh, link ups canceled and you know basically what I see happening is the very flaws in the system that are allowing coronavirus to permeate our society and that are going to end up infecting so many more people than need be are going to be protected because of coronavirus. It's like a horrible snake eating its own tail kind of thing, because right now a lot of like left leaning or more progressive movements are effectively being squashed. Like the incumbent and the establishment is safe. Like they have their voter base. It is always more difficult to kind of campaign as somebody from the outside trying to come in. So I feel like the incumbents are fine. But all those people that need to even petition to get themselves on the ballot, people like Samelis Lopez in the Bronx, who is a staunch advocate for guarantee as well as Medicare for all, um, people like Jamal Bowman in uh, New York 16th district affecting literally he's running for the district that literally has to deal with the new Rochelle crisis. Like all of those people who are running to make change, they're essentially going to be snubbed. Like who's coming up to you on the street to like use your grubby pen and sign a petition? Nobody. So, you know, I'm just kind of stressed that this is going to dampen the vibe of 2021 and make it so that we won't see the changes that we need to, to even curb a pandemic like this. So you should know that in New York state that they reduced the amount of petitions you need to get on the ballot by 30%, but they also moved up the deadline from April 12th to March 17th. So yeah, it's always something, but that's, that's the current situation right now for petitioning from last I heard, but yeah, it's going to be rough. A lot of elections are going to go differently because of this process. It's really going to be interesting to see how folks choose or are able to campaign over the next coming couple of weeks. I will say that, you know, Bernie's campaign, even in Michigan where he lost, like Bernie organizers are now organizing donation drives and like food run via pickup apps in a really creative way. And while Bernie has called off all door-to-door canvassing nationwide for his like presidential campaign. Um, he has switched to ramping up calls for tents and phone banking. Yeah, no, that we shall. Sure. That we um, shall. I just wanted, yeah, I, I do think that 
so even like we're talking about the Democratic primary um, tonight, right? They were supposed to have their first face-off. Joe Biden faces off with Bernie Sanders in front of a live audience. And they're still going to do it, but they're not going to have the live audience. Um, but I think that we still, we still have to, like, pay attention and make sure that, you know, we're locked in. And, you know, as we mentioned, a lot of us, like, our caucuses are coming up, our primaries are coming up, and I'm not sure how many of us are going to be willing to go to the polls. I mean, I'll put it like this. If millennials, if we feel like, we can't be affected and we're still going to take these $50 round trip flights to Miami, then show up to the polls and vote, okay? Because that's what's going to get Bernie Sanders elected, for one. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I would just put it there. But I would say this because I did want to just move on quickly and get back to how the pandemic is affecting the economy. So Bernie Sanders, he put out an op-ed this morning talking about how the fact that we have globalization and disastrous trade policies. Because of that, we've been outsourcing millions of jobs and factories overseas having, um, and, and factories. And as a result, it's affecting our economy. So that means we have to be dependent on China and other countries to get essential things like masks, like prescription drugs, like the gloves that everyone's getting, medical equipment for uh, like ventilators, etc. So I wanted to put that out there because the pandemic, besides affecting our local communities, which we talked a lot about, let's talk about how it's affecting the national economy. Um, Stanley, and I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, so this is a major blow to China. And China is on route, in route to losing its role as the number one manufacturer for the world because of this. People are canceling uh, contracts with China. They're not shipping. They're not exporting anything from China right now. China is really going to take a major blow to this. There are other countries that are suffering from this as well. Obviously, Italy is going through a full-blown pandemic right now, and things are really bad. China, I mean, China, Africa, the continent of Africa hasn't had it as bad as other countries or other parts of the other parts of the um, other continents, which has been pretty interesting. And they have banned Europeans from traveling to um, mm. African countries for at, least, for at least the next month or so. So it's been really interesting. But yeah, like Bernie mentions, we are an economy that's tied to the global market. So as the global market suffers, so will we. So if China suffers and takes a hit, we will take a hit. And the fact of the matter is we were already en route to a recession because of Trump's policies. This has accelerated that Tammy, process. I want to get your thoughts on everything that's being said, especially when it comes to, like Stanley said, we're linked to a global economy. So I, I work at a finance real investment firm in Midtown, and it is just sheer panic. It's like mixture of sheer panic, as well as like the millionaires and billionaires in my company being like, you should stay optimistic. Like this is when people like us thrive. You just invest and wait for the bottom line to come up in 10 years. And let me just say, I've been waiting for something like this for a long time. Like, I'm a personal believer that capitalism has been eating itself for years and years and years. And it takes exactly something like this to prove how to prove how messy it is, but also how fragile and just totally incapable it is as an economic system for billions of people. Like when the stock markets plunged like that, all I saw was that 
my family is going to be in utmost turmoil. And it's crazy how these little numbers on a small screen from data all around the world have such a huge impact. Like, I feel like as we see the virus spread more and more, like Europe bump China. Like, I get it with the manufacturing, but do you know how much we import from Europe, how much we export to Europe? Do you know how much European and American trade is linked and how businesses move back and forth literally on a monthly basis? That alone is going to be enough to stifle us for a very long time coming. And as more and more countries like France, like Italy, go into complete lockdown, we're not going to see any money moves being made anytime soon. So all that says to me is that we're just going to see, you know, folks struggle to pay bills. We're going to see folks struggle to get the goods that they're used to buying. And then we're going to see companies on the bounce back lay off tons of people to get their bottom line straight again. And you know, totally change the economy as we see it today. You know, Tammy, you brought up such a great point and how this leads and and you can't help us to think about capitalism. It's so fragile, right? All it takes is a virus. And we've seen what? SARS, bird flu. We've seen things like this happen before. All it takes is a small microscopic virus to take down a whole economy. And, you know, back to Bernie Sanders, if it's if now's the time for a political revolution, now if there was any time, now is the time. Um, I also think about like Killer Mike, right, because he's been talking about how us, especially as black folks, we need to become self-sustaining. We can't depend on a system that wasn't created for us and exploits us because now when that whole system implodes, what are we going to do? Right. So there's a there's a lot to talk about here. Um, I actually wanted to read a comment from Danny Winston. He said, in regards to Stanley talking about Africa, or I think it was Tammy who was talking about Africa. He said, I just came from Africa, Africa, and they are not playing. They checked my passport for where I've traveled and gave me an ear fever and swab test. So we at least we know that they're taking things seriously. I mean, I just got off a plane last Sunday. Nothing. Here in New York City. They were just like, oh, you're free. Go ahead. It was nothing. But, um, Black people don't wanna, play with you know, hygiene. I'm telling you. <laughs> For sure. So, like, we're talking about the worst possible effects. We're talking about the reality of this pandemic. Let's talk about the U.S. government response, right? Because that's where our tax dollars go. Protecting us? Has the U.S. Mm-hmm. government been sufficient in their response? Like, what are you guys feeling about that? And 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 moving forward, do you feel like the U.S. leader of the free world can handle an epidemic like this? It's been very obvious that they no, failed no, completely. I'm sorry, Timmy. Were you, were you going to go first? I'm sorry. Yeah, they, they failed miserably. We haven't had any tests. We don't have any tests available. This got way worse than it needed to be. If there was some proper management of this, then, you know, we could have very easily just, like, Nip, not nipped it in the butt, but got in control right away. And we didn't do that. Instead, Trump kept saying it was fake and no one's getting corona. They didn't put the proper funding towards anything. They weren't looking for symptoms. They weren't looking for ways to make sure people were treated. And then now it's kind of spiraled out. And instead of being stable, 
all Trump keeps doing yep. is destabilizing the Honestly, even more. Honestly, if this, for me, Americans are so whack if we don't use this to, like, overthrow the government and revolution. Like, I hope we don't get flagged by the FBI for this, but, like, Molotov cocktails, my friends, because I, I literally can't believe that we have a leader of, what, like, 300 million people saying that it's a hoax. Like, the fact that cities have to independently declare a state of emergency in order to force access to more funding and testing from the CDC is an absolute nightmare. Like a nightmare. In South Korea, you know what the death rate yeah. was in South Korea? The, the media is panicking and saying there's something like a 2 to 3% death rate compared to influenza 0.1. In, um, in South Korea, it was 0.7. They moved so efficiently in forcing their citizens to stay home and to also, you know, desanitize or sorry, sanitize the streets, um, make moves in quarantining individuals and items moving across their borders. Like the, the U.S. government is a joke in my eyes right now, and it should be in everyone else's, too. Not only that, so um, I know we mentioned how one of the biggest failures was the fact that we didn't deploy tests so that people can determine who's infected. And that's how South Korea was able to, I don't want to say contain the, the, the pandemic, but at least get some control of it. Um, so the U.S. has tested far fewer people per capita per capita than any of its peer nations and by a wide margin. On top of that, to take it back to Trump, he actually made government less able to respond to a pandemic since he's been in office. How? By shutting down a program developed in 2005 by the U.S. Agency for International Development to detect and research infectious diseases that arise in animal populations and eventually jump to humans, which is probably how the coronavirus even started. Not, um, so the the program was created by Bush, Bush because, um, remember, it was in response to the H1, um, H195 bird flu scare. And then Obama kept the program. But again, Trump, I think, very recently uh, decided to get rid of it. And on top of that, he also he's been re- uh, calling for repeated budget cuts to the CDC and the National Institutes of Health. And in 20, 2018, he ordered the White House National Security Council's entire global health security arm to shut down. So, again, this president has been taking every step and measure he could to make sure we're less safe, to be blunt. Mm. Yeah. Listen, folks wanted Trump. They got Trump and everything that comes with him in a Republican leadership. Like, they do not care about people. They do not care about safety. They care about money and the special interest. And don't get me wrong. Democrats care about that, too. Like, they have an incentive to have society run functionally. And this administration does not. It just does not. And this, this has always been my frustration with folks who are Republicans and folks who supported Trump. Because this is exactly, Republicans have been pushing to do stuff like this for years. They've been trying to defund the Center for Disease Control. They've been trying to defund the Department of Health. This is what they've wanted to do for years. And people kept saying, oh, well, you know, the government doesn't run properly. 
The government can run properly if you fund it and you hire competent people. The government is literally made up yep. by regular people. And the Trump administration has done everything to strip them of all of these resources and all of the things that make it good. And now people are suffering. And what's even scary yeah. is that Trump might win his reelection. He will. <laughs> he will. He will because people aren't voting for Sanders and Biden is literally senile. So. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think a that pandemic is so enough upset. to scare people, honestly. Well, to me, that just speaks to how yeah. uneducated well, and ignorant Americans really are. I mean, if you're willing to let your racist mentality or whatever else it is that makes you have some type of affinity for Trump, if you're going to let that overshadow and blind you from real life issues like this pandemic, then I kind of think, get what you ask for. Like, right? Like, what what else can be done? How much more can we educate people? How much more can we try to inform them? If they're still like, no, I'm voting for Trump, then it is what it is. Your community is going to be affected too. I don't know what else to say or feel. But the problem is if it was just Trump voters who were going to suffer from this, I would I would sit back and relax. That's not the case. My father is directly yeah. impacted by this and could be endangered because of this. People that I love could, are impacted and endangered this because because folks did not turn out in 2016 and white folks did and we got Trump and then now folks are not turning out for Bernie and we're going to get Biden to go against Trump. And the fact of the matter is. Like these, like you, if you ever want to know what your vote does, it's the shit that you never had to think about. Damn, edit point. It's the things that you never had to think about that get taken care of when you have a solid functioning government with good leadership. That's what it does because now you have weak leadership, and these are the things you had to think about, and these are the things you had to be worried about. Stanley, you know, with that being said, that leads us to our call to action. Um, because, you know, forgive me, because I'm get, I get frustrated about stuff like this. And it's almost like you want to just throw up your arms and just say, well, just forget it then. But that's not what we're going to do. Um, yeah. What needs to be done to protect the most vulnerable communities from the coronavirus moving forward? What can we still do to make sure we're protecting these people and our people and ourselves? Stay in the house if you can. Wash your hands thoroughly. If you do need to go outside, make sure you're washing your hands thoroughly. Making sure you're being sanitary. Like all the things your, your parents used to tell you you had to do when you were a kid, do them. That's, that's one. Two, if you're buying supplies, don't buy up everything. Buy what you need. Like we're, like, we're not running out of food and toilet paper. Just stock up like you would usually stock up because other people are going to be stocking up too. And it's bad enough that some folks are going to have to go into their savings or even their rent money to cover these new expenses. It's even worse now when they can't get stuff because everything is sold out. So now what they can get is going to be at an inflated price. And then finally, make sure in this presidential election in November, vote Trump out of office. Vote Trump out of office and vote every single Republican out of office in Senate and in Congress. Republicans have proven time and again that they do, they do not deserve to be in leadership and that they are not capable of being in leadership. So, fire them. Tammy, what are your thoughts? What can be done so that we are protecting the most vulnerable communities at this time? So, of first things first, I guess, especially for New Yorkers, please find out while you're at home, while you're not doing anything on the computer, find out who your elected officials are and call them, complain. Like, you need to let them know 
to enact paid sick leave bills, to go hard at the state and federal level protections for workers so that we can mitigate the spread of the disease as much as possible. Um, The most important thing is that those most at risk for complications of coronavirus are safe. So reach out to, you know, those folks that you know who have chronic pre-existing conditions, you know, your elderly folks, ask them, you know, if that you want, if, if they want to get a seamless delivery or if they're okay or if they're feeling okay, reach out and check on them. Call your locals and make sure to let them know to advocate for those in your community that need advocating for. The last thing for me, though, is wake up America. Like, this is the number one thing for me. Wake up. Wake up. Like, if you think something like this can be pre- can't be prevented then you're an idiot. Vote for universal health care because it is literally the only thing that can stop things like this. <laughs> Doctors not having enough beds available, testing too costly and not available from the government, people uninsured and still going to work while they're coughing, sneezing with a fever, muscle aches. All of this could be prevented by having universal health care. So stop voting for the safe choice, get your head out of your butt, and vote for universal health care. Matter of fact, don't just vote for universal health care in the primaries, which is Sanders. Vote for local politicians who are talking about universal health care because those are the people on the ground educating the community about what they need to protect themselves. Well said. Thank you for that. I'll end this episode by saying this. Our country is facing a medical and economic crisis to the likes that we have not seen in generations. And to quote Bernie Sanders, it is at this moment, we must remember that we are in this together. If our neighbor or coworker gets sick, we have the potential to get sick. If our neighbors lose their jobs, then that affects our local community. If doctors and nurses do not have the equipment or the staffing that they need, then people that we know and love may die. So now is the time for solidarity and robust action. This is what we talked about, political action, civic engagement, making sure you're going to the polls. There's been a local election here, even in my community, on Tuesday. Like, I, I have to vote. You have, you have to understand the impact that going to the polls and having these leaders in place has on larger things, especially when it comes to pandemics. Um, on top of that, Another thing we need is we need to increase the availability of corona test kits. Um, That's like number one. We also need to build out more intensive care units. Uh, We need more ventilators. And we need to be protecting and supporting medical personnel by all means necessary at this time. But ultimately, what we do, what we must do is something that every other major country has done. And that has guaranteed health care to all people as a human right, not a privilege. It's now during the coronavirus outbreak that the lack of a health care system threatens all of us. Because what this shows us is that we are just as vulnerable as the person who has the least insurance. And I'll end with a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King. He says, We are all caught up in an inescapable network of neutrality tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly 
affects all in your wrestling. I'm going to just let those words resonate in your spirit and in your soul because the time is now to act. And remember, when you go to the polls and you're voting, you're doing it not just for yourself, not just for your parents and your children. You're doing it for all of us. Um, yes. And all for right, anyone guys. who is listening via podcast, please remember to share this on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can add us at Be Heard Talk. You can also um, uh, support us by subscribing to us via Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash BeHeardRadio. We need to update that. <laughs> but um, we appreciate all the support. Our mission always is to inform, educate, and empower. But we can't do that without you guys' support. So thank you for that. <laughs>